The ever-growing homelessness crisis is impacting people and communities around the world. Right here in Canada, it's been estimated that over 230,000 Canadians experience homelessness in a given year, though the numbers may actually be higher. Though this complex issue can't be solved by a one-size-fits-all approach, it's clear that an innovative solution is needed to challenge the status quo and our ingrained assumptions that keep us stuck in crisis. The good news is one social entrepreneur and her organization has taken such a bold step, launching the world's first direct cash transfer pilot program to combat homelessness. And the results are eye-opening. We speak with her next. Welcome to In the Business of Change, where we speak with social entrepreneurs impacting their communities and the world. I'm your host, Elisa Birnbaum, publisher and editor-in-chief of Sea Change magazine. Don't forget to check out my book, also titled In the Business of Change, Profiling Social Entrepreneurs Around the World, which is now available in audiobook format too, with me as your narrator. You can find it wherever you normally buy your books and audiobooks, including your local bookstore, Amazon, or on our website. On today's podcast, we speak with Claire Elizabeth Williams, co-founder and CEO of Foundations for Social Change. She speaks to us about the organization's New Leaf Project, which conducted a randomized controlled trial with people who were struggling with homelessness. They provided them with $7,500 in cash transfers, condition-free, and then followed them for 12 months. In our conversation, Claire shares the study's findings many of which run counter to society's assumptions about the decision-making and priorities of this vulnerable group. And we discuss how the groundbreaking project can open the door to innovative thinking not only when tackling homelessness, but also with other intractable social issues. Well, I've always been active in actually the environmental movement. So my background is in environmental studies, environmental conservation. And after multiple different careers in that space, ended up in the private sector working on environmental assessment. And it very quickly became clear that there was a misalignment between who I am and the work that I was tasked with doing. So in 2015, I quit my job and I moved to India to manage a children's orphanage. And then when I came back to Vancouver in September of that year, I just was sitting with the question of how do I continue making an impact here at home? You know, it's so compelling for us to go overseas, to volunteer, to do community work, and then we come home and we go back to the grind. And so I didn't want to do that and um, really wanted to continue making an impact here at home. Um, And we're just seeing an increasing number of folks experiencing homelessness here in Vancouver. I'm from Ottawa, so I was traveling back and forth seeing an increasing number of visibly homeless folks in uh, Ottawa, Montreal, Toronto. And so got to thinking um, about what is a different way of empowering people. And really, my co-founder and I were inspired by a TED Talk by Rutger Bregman. And that was kind of the beginning of it all. Um, we just really? Loved- yeah, yeah. So what was the, te- I mean, without getting into too much detail, what was the TED Talk about, like as a, you know, synopsis? Yeah, the TED Talk was about universal basic income, but more so the power of cash to transform people's lives and that poverty isn't a lack of character, it's a lack of cash. Um, And he talked about this great project in England where they had allocated a personalized budget to 13 men who were chronically homeless and saw tremendous impact. And so we're like, why don't we do that here at home in Canada? When was that? when, When did you launch that? What year was that launched? 
Yeah, so the New Leaf project was launched um, in 2017 is when we actually got funding. So I worked on it from my kitchen table for a year with no funding, no income. Um, and then in 2017, we were um, successful on a grant from the federal government that gave us half a million. So that allowed us to take the idea um, from my kitchen table to a bona fide organization, hire a team to execute it. So wonderful. And so um, tell us about the New Leaf Project then and, and, and give us the details of how it worked and, and who was chosen and how they were chosen and all that kind of good stuff. Yeah, so as part of our mission for Foundations for Social Change, we're all about taking meaningful risk to advance social change. Um, and so the New Leaf Project is the first step in that direction. And so, um, like I said, we were really inspired by the work in um, London. We we're also inspired by the work that's been done in developing countries with cash transfers. And so we decided to run a pilot project here in Vancouver, BC, built a relationship with the University of British Columbia. So ran this project as a randomized control trial to test the power of direct giving so that's giving a one-time lump sum of cash to 50 people who are recently homeless okay did you already have an idea i mean by watching a ted talk and doing your other research and seeing the impact that um lump sum uh, provides people who are homeless did you already have sort of an idea in your head of where you think it would be going or did you were you like let's just see what happens kind of thing? Let, yeah it was a let's just see what happens okay. we just knew that the current or you know or we felt that the current one-size-fits-all approach to homelessness was not working and that we need to create space for disruption in the space of charity Agreed. Okay, great. And so how did you choose? It was only 50 people. So that's hard. I mean, there's a lot of, unfortunately, people who are struggling with homelessness in, in Vancouver. And the 50 people, it was limited because of funding. Right. Um, that was the smallest number that we could have in order to um, have statistical significance. That's our smallest sample size. And then in terms of recruitment, we had a set of eligibility criteria. So we were working with folks who are recently homeless. So people had to be between 18 to 64 years of age, under two years on the street, and then had to have a high degree of functionality. So we were not working with people who had severe mental health, substance use, or alcohol use challenges. Okay, okay. Um, and that was those criterias, the criteria was decided with, uh, with UBC when you're, you're working in, with uh, the researchers there? It, well, UBC was working shoulder to shoulder with us, but it was actually our community partners. Okay. Um, so, as I said, I came from the environmental space, so I didn't have expertise in this area. So we really worked shoulder to shoulder with community partners, with shelters, with experts in the mental health space, um, who, people who had done longitudinal studies in homelessness and asked them, what do you think our criteria should be? And the reason that we had this criteria is really we just, no one's done this before in the West. And so with any kind of prototyping of any, whether it's a product or a project or a program, you want to start small. You want to start where you think you're going to have a bit of success. And then as you learn, um, as you go, then you can start relaxing the parameters. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. Um, and it was each, each person was given how much in uh, cash? $7,500. So one of the questions we sat with is, what's the amount? Is there a magic number? Um, and we hummed and we hawed and we just couldn't decide whether there was a magic number. And so what we decided was to benchmark it against the income assistance rates in British Columbia, which at the time was $610 a month. Course of the year, that's 7,250, and we just rounded it up to 7,500. Okay. And so that was intentional because we think there's important policy implications from our findings. 
which I want to get to um, as I get to the next question. Um, so what? So you gave them the lump sum. Some of them were also given coaching, were they not? Like financial coaching or other things? Can you tell us a bit about that? Like how there was four different groups, right? Yeah, you've done your homework. That's I have. Good. <laughs> two cash groups and two non-cash groups. And the difference between the two is one of those groups in each of the segments got coaching and it was actually life coaching. So the idea is that folks would work one on one with a professionally trained life coach um, meeting three times a month for six months. And I will tell you that that did not, it was not successful. Okay. Because I was going to be part, one of my questions was, did you find, okay, so let's get to that, the next question, and I'll, I'll get to the sub-questions in a second, which is, what were the, the, the early learnings from that, the impact, uh, and what can we take away? We gave out the first cash transfers in April 2018, and we gave out the last cash transfers in about December 2019. So our recruitment okay. was ongoing for a year and a half. Got it. And how long did you follow them throughout the year you followed them or how often did you check in with them? We met with people at baseline one month and then every three months for a minimum of a year to a duration of two years for oh. some of the people that we recruited at the very beginning. I was going to ask you that if you kept in touch with them past that year. Okay. So what about the early learnings and were you surprised when anything you, you know, the takeaways? Yeah. So we saw that people moved into stable housing faster. Um, so naturally then they're correspondingly spending fewer days homeless. We saw that people had an increased spending on um, food, on clothing, on rent, that we um, people achieved greater food security in the cash group. So these are all for specifically the cash group. Um, we saw that people retained over $1,000 after 12 months, which is pretty remarkable in a place like Vancouver where the cost of living is really high. And then we also saw that people made wise financial choices. So there was a reduction in spending on alcohol, tobacco, and drugs by 39%. And so for me, that is our most spectacular data point. And it's because it challenges these broken stereotypes around people living in poverty or people living in homelessness. They're, they're going to, quote unquote, waste the money. Right. Um, and I absolutely agree with that. Of course, I the one question that I would bring up was that you, the 50 people were not people that had severe mental health issues or alcoholic uh, cha challenges with, with alcohol or drugs. So does that uh, still give you the same impact or same kind of takeaways? And I'm just... Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's attracting our findings in any way, shape or form. So one of the important things I think that this project is highlighting um, and the challenges, again, how people think about, let's say, poverty or people living in homelessness is it's not a homogenous population. So just like in the regular population, um, we all have different wants, needs, desires, objectives. We need different support. So it's the same thing for the population who's experiencing homelessness. So this works for a certain segment of the population. We're not apologetic about that. We think that's great. If we can help 49% of the population, quickly move out of homelessness, then I say amen. And in addition to the individual impact, what it also does is it releases the pressure on the existing shelter system of care. So for those folks who need more wraparound supports, then we can dedicate that time and effort resources to getting them the help that they need. Okay. 
So, okay, no, that's great. I, I was wondering, if was that a surprising outcome for you, or were you, uh, was that something, I mean, you, this, you were sort of new to this whole issue, so for you, it must have been eye-opening, I would imagine. Was it to the people that you were working with who were in community and, and dealing with a lot of uh, people struggling with homelessness, were they as surprised? Well, I, I think, you know, we kind of went in with an open, it was an open question, right. we didn't so just to be clear, it's not that people were abstinent. People were still drinking, using alcohol, were still using substances, still had some variation on um, the scale of mental health. It was just that we had established a threshold. So right. had to be below a certain threshold. Um, and I do, I just think it, it fundamentally challenges these paternalistic attitudes to how we help people um, living in poverty or people living in homelessness, um, that they can't make wise financial choices, that we know better as decision makers or people who are in positions of privilege and power, what people need to move their lives forward. And our data actually shows that's not the case. Interesting. It's very interesting, actually. One of the reasons why I reached out, because I thought that was a fascinating takeaway. Um, what about learnings, um, the learnings and how they can impact public policy? Um, and have you sort of taken it in that direction? Anything you've been thinking about um, in terms of like perhaps the reduction in uh, social services that was required um, when they were given this lump sum as well. I mean, you, you tell me more, but just from the, the little that I have read about it, it was also an interesting takeaway. Yeah, so from a policy perspective, I think there's important implications for how we disperse income assistance. So um, I'll speak specifically to the BC context, but I think it's the same in Ontario and beyond across Canada is, you know, people are now given $710 a month. I don't know what you're supposed to do with $710 a month, but you certainly can't move your life forward. And I think the recent CERB payments speak to that. You know, the federal government benchmarked $2,000 as the minimum amount of income that's required to cover your cost of living. So we're giving people about $1,300 less than that and expecting them to move forward in their lives. So what if we fundamentally challenge the way our public policy is designed, which uh, and I'm, I'm still kind of exploring this thought process in my mind, but it feels like it's built on the default assumption that people are not trustworthy, mm -hmm. that they're trying to cheat the system. But what if we actually suppose that people are inherently good? And Rutger Bregman talks about this in his most recent book, Humankind. I highly recommend it. But what if we assume that people are going to make good decisions? Then could we give people income assistance in a lump sum at the front end, which would allow them to quickly move out of homelessness, which would, one, amplify the impact to the individual, but two, result in a cost saving to society? Interesting question uh and i think you've already come to some yeah absolutely um and oh and to go back to the the question that i wanted to address before um which is with regards to coaching or financial like life coaching or any kind of coaching from those four groups that you uh that you studied you found the ones that received a lump sum just alone that had the biggest um the biggest impact on their lives. Is that correct? Or am I, did I not read those uh, results correctly? And, and I'm just curious about how important that level of coaching is or any kind of, you know, financial or otherwise. First of all, in terms of the impact, the data, yeah. we completed groups one and group two and group three and group four. Okay. So you wouldn't necessarily see the difference in the impact of coaching. And that's done for two reasons. One, because our sample was so small. Right. So the small break the sample down, the less um, significant the impact is and the results. But two, 
we learned that people didn't engage with their coaches past the one-time meeting that was required. So here is a beautiful example, and we will own this, of us as decision makers deciding what people who were trying to empower would value. So while we really valued coaching, our participants didn't value coaching. So we invested time, money, effort, training, and recruiting 50 volunteer coaches, matching them with participants to only find out, ah, people weren't really interested. And it makes sense, right? If you think about moving out of homelessness, are you in a space of like aspiration and goal setting? No, you need practical help, like to find housing, you need to find a job, maybe get some work boots, like get your health back on track. So it was a complete mismatch and we'll own that. Right. No, it's interesting. Yeah. It's a learning for everyone, right? Everyone, you're trying different things, seeing what, what uh, sticks and what doesn't stick. And so that's a good takeaway for sure. What about what's next? You know, at the same time, I'd love to know what are you hoping in the long run to achieve um, with these studies and with your project? Yeah, thanks for asking that question. Um, so we are now planning for an expansion project um, in early next year, as soon as we can raise $10 million. And that's for a number of things. It's not just for this one project. So we're planning an expansion project, which will involve the disbursement of two to 300 cash transfers. The goal there is to expand our sample size so we can have more statistical significance. We'll be simplifying our study design, also deploying a tech platform to help streamline some of the processes that were quite clunky in the pilot project. And then our goal is if universal basic income isn't in place, then we want to deploy this thing across Canada, if not North America. We've had a stream of requests come in since going public. Um, and I just think the time is right for these kind of more compassionate and dignified approaches to empowering people to move beyond poverty and out of homelessness. Amazing. And so that's your, your sort of your vision and your goal moving forward um, to take it bigger, expand, uh, learn more, and, and, and uh, impact more people that way. Is that Impact more people, yeah. And we'd also like to um, test the power of direct cash transfers with other groups. So um, have done some initial kind of investigation into empowering people who are exiting the criminal justice system, um, sex trade workers who no longer want to be in the sex trade, um, also single mothers. So I think there's a lot of different populations that could benefit from a cash-based intervention. Amazing. Um, that's true. And you're getting a lot of attention for this. You're getting calls from all over the world. Uh, people are seemingly picking up on uh, the value that you, that your the research is providing in terms of how we approach homelessness and, like you said, possibly other other uh, social challenges uh, in our communities. So, you know, kudos to you, truly. Congratulations for, for taking it this far, and um, I think we'll all be watching. Is there anything else that you wanted to say that I didn't give you a chance to say? Well, I think it would just be to invite your listeners to kind of drop into their heart and think more compassionately about people who are living in poverty and homelessness. You know, a lot of the things we think are just built on, they're built on a fairy tale and they're not actually representative of the population. Um, think about people's circumstances. So we often see, um, you know, people are homeless, but there's a person behind that experience and how would it feel to say, I've never spent one night on the street, never mind like a year or, you know, a couple of months. It is, it's a really traumatic experience. And the last piece actually speaks to Dr. Jia Ying Zhao's work. So she's the professor that I work with at UBC. And I think this is a really important piece of information that's missing from the conversation is when people are living in poverty, um, they lose about 13 IQ points. So that's the difference between being 40 to 60 years old, or it's the difference of losing 
completely losing a night's sleep. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty dysfunctional if I don't sleep. So if you are in that mode 24 hours a day, you can't think your way out of your situation. You can't find housing. You can't get a job. You're in crisis mode. And so we just need to think realistically about how, how, what, how people are experiencing what's going on for them. And it's just not realistic to have these expectations about them moving forward until people are well-fed and have a stable place to live. Thank you. Thank you for adding that. Um, so is, is still the lump sum, is it, is, it, is it a big part of it? Is it a big part of that? Yeah, it's absolutely an important part because when you get a bigger sum of cash, it allows you to start making plans for the future. Whereas if you have $20 in your pocket, you can think about where you're going to get your next meal. But beyond that, you can't think, well, I'd like to move into housing. And then I'd really like to go back to school and train in this area. Or I'd like to get my car back on the road so I can return to employment. All of those things require cash. Good. I'm glad I asked that. I'm actually really passionate about this issue. Um, and I've been writing a lot about it, and I find that something different is is needed, and something you know innovative is necessary because you know we can't continue this way, and homelessness is only getting worse. Um, not only here, it's everywhere. So I I really do applaud you. I saw the story actually on CNN's website, so that's how I mean that's awesome. And have you gotten response from that? All of a sudden, um, it just really picked up momentum. So it's it's been incredible, and I think it speaks to also the immense need for different approaches to to helping people. Yeah, and we're, we're so precious about cash, right? Like, and again, it's built on we can't trust people. Like, they're not going to spend the money wisely. Yeah, and, and and why should we give out free money? But I think one of the things here, and this is the Canadian context, there's an assumption that the cost of doing nothing, the status quo, is cheap. It's not. It's incredibly expensive. It costs taxpayers anywhere from 53000 to 134000 per person per year um, that's experiencing homelessness. So what if we can just give people $7,500, you know, that subset of the population, and help them get on their way? Thank you for listening to In the Business of Change. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast to hear other conversations with inspired social entrepreneurs and change makers working on challenges in their communities and across the globe. I'm your host, Elisa Birnbaum.